0: You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, a podcast hosted by me, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps online course creator, consultant, and a Docker captain. This podcast contains clips from my weekly YouTube live show, where I host a real-time ask-me-anything style chat with guests and anyone who shows up on YouTube chat, many of whom are students of my Docker courses. You can find out more information, including show notes for this episode at brettfisher.com slash podcast. That's B R E T f-i-s-h-e-r dot slash podcast. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk with Kubernetes, Docker, and Swarm instructor Jerome Petazzoni about how to learn and use Kubernetes orchestration. And we answer a bunch of YouTube live questions along the way. And sorry for the audio on this one. There are some audio spikes along the way. So be careful if you have this turned up loud in your ears. Hopefully it's not too bad. Now let's get to some Kubernetes learning. Let's bring in Jerome Pedazzoni. Uh, we've known each other for years, but Jerome was a Docker captain, number zero, and worked at Docker for seven years, even before it was actually called Docker. He now is working as an independent trainer and he can teach Kubernetes, or he, where he does teach Kubernetes, as well as a little bit of Docker, I'm told. And he's calling in from Cleveland at the moment where he's attending the PyCon conference for Python, if you're not aware of that conference. His home base is in Topeka, Kansas, near to where I grew up in Missouri, but he also can be found in various other locations in the U.S. as well as in Europe to deliver talks and training sessions here and there. Welcome to the show, Jerome. Thanks so much for being here. Hi. Let's talk about Kubernetes, which is the big tagline I put on YouTube. So everybody's probably here to talk about Kubernetes. So you, um, like we go back long enough, right? It seems like your your career at Docker was first talking about Docker and then everybody started to get on into orchestration. And Swarm and, or, and Kubernetes kind of ra- came around the same time within a year or so of each other. And so then uh, at first we were talking about Swarm. Uh, and then now it seems like these last two or three years, you've talked almost exclusively on Kubernetes. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about that journey. Like what was that like to have to go from just learning Docker all the way to? Sure. Um,
1: if I only start from the moment when I started like uh, talking about Orchestration, I think the, the, the first orchestration workshop, like the first time I was in front of people trying to teach orchestration was uh, June 2015. And I remember that that did pretty well because that's when I wrote the demo app, Docker Coins. They kept using all the way through. And I yeah. found that pretty fun because I, I've, I've taken that app on Docker clusters before Swan then on the first swarm, and then the new swarm with swarm mode, um, and then now on Kubernetes. Um, so it was really interesting to see the steps to to take that very same code, uh, which, by the way, didn't change by a single line since then um, through these different environments. Uh, to me, it was a really interesting journey because, um, at first, it was really like, OK, we have Docker, which is an amazing toolbox of things, and we have to put that together to deploy the distributed application. Then Swarm made that so much easier. They were like, uh, I felt like I had a bunch of extra little tools on the side, like, hey, this is my load balancing hack and toolbox. This is my service discovery thing. And the, the more um, as, as, as time and as uh, Swarm had more features, I could get rid of uh, a bunch of these components um, until we reached the point where I think it was uh, for DevOps Days Minneapolis in 2017, I was able in, in 90 minutes, so one and a half hour, to demonstrate how to uh, set up a Swarm cluster and then deploy this application on that cluster like uh, from A to Z. Uh, without using much external tools or hacks or scripts or et cetera. And I I found that was a pretty powerful demo of what, what you can learn and what you can do in a really short time. And then I think in the... A few months after that was uh, when Docker did the announcement like, hey, now we're going to support both Swarm and Kubernetes, and you get to pick and choose what, what's best for you. Um, that's when I started to deliver uh, workshops on Kubernetes. Um, and at first, I'm not going to lie, at first I was a little bit afraid that this would be complicated and a whole bunch of new things to learn. And I've found that it was with what i knew um it was pretty straightforward a little bit as if since i had learned swarm first i just had to map these concepts and i yeah. totally acknowledge that if you're getting started with kubernetes it can be a lot of like a new vocabulary a new way of doing things there are pods and there are deployments and replica assets and a bunch of controllers and what's even that and um it it's a lot of extra information and it's a Big like overload, but since I already had experience with Swarm, at least the key concepts, the modes, and reconciliation loops, and all these little things was like okay, I know that. So then I just had to learn the how it maps to, uh, uh, to to Kubernetes. A bit, you know, like we we say that if you know how to learn French or Italian, it's easier to learn the other way, than the other one. Uh, that, that kind of things. Um it, you know some languages are pretty close one to another. Um, and I felt a little bit that way. I was like, okay, I know Swarm and so it, it feels very straightforward once you know Swarm to right. dive into Kubernetes. So for me it's a it's a journey that was not easy, but I felt like I was lucky enough to have all these steps and be able to climb the steps one by one instead of being like, oh, okay, how the how am I ever gonna get up there. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's how it felt. And it, and even now when I tackle more advanced things on Kubernetes like operators and how do I manage my own clusters and um like the cluster federation, etc, etc. Yeah. I feel like I was lucky to again this step like one by one. Um so when I when I have a new concept, instead of being like, oh my god, this is overwhelming, I'm like, okay, I, I'm just going to Add a few building blocks on top of this thing I already know, and it feels easier to, to grasp and to understand. So that's how I feel about all that.
0: Yeah. And I, and I imagine that, you know, when we all teach, I think a lot of times we, we teach the way we think, the way we learn, right? Like, And mm-hmm. so it's always challenging to provide education. In, um, that everyone can use. And I I have to imagine that you learning the way you did, instead of coming from a, uh, so a cold start where things were nothing. You you had, it's not like you didn't have any background in Docker when you started Kubernetes. And I think that's one of sort of the, the ways that people can get exhausted with Kubernetes and just almost quit sometimes when they're doing initial learning is they, it's like they try to go too fast too soon. And, um, so the way you learn and the way you teach is actually the way that I recommend for others because I feel like it's giving them little pieces and and success at, at each stage, right? Like learning the Docker success stuff there. Because if you don't, it's like if you, if you have all theory and no application, I feel like it's really hard to understand these concepts. But if you can figure out Docker and then figure out Compose and then figure out Swarm and then figure out Kubernetes, I, mm-hmm. I do feel like it's a very layered yeah. approach to getting to the I mean, probably the most complicated thing we've invented so far in tech is a, you know, a, a hand-built Kubernetes cluster running containers in a distributed environment. Like that, there's probably nothing, there's not a whole lot of other tech out there that's as complicated as that if you're doing it yourself, right? Um, at least for most, most people. Yeah. So it's like, that's, that's sort of the, the question we get a lot from this in the classes is like, hey, how should I learn, what should I learn first?
1: Right. I mean, I don't know if I would say it's the most complicated thing. However, I feel like it's one thing where there is a huge difference between doing it yourself and using some managed or prepackaged solution. Even though, like arguably, it's a little bit like uh, building your own Linux kernel. It's a thing that when, if you're on Linux, at some right. point you might run into like, hey, but, you, you must build your own kernel because you need this patch to support your brand new like wifi interface because you pick that super new shiny laptop. But unfortunately it's not super well supported yet. So it's kind of a little thing where there's a huge gap between the experience you have when you just like pop Ubuntu or another distro in a machine and boom, it works and you set it up and you're done compared to, Hey, I'm doing everything by hand. And at the end, if you look at the results, there is no, clear difference. You just in both cases you end up with a Linux machine and it and it works and you're like browsing the web or coding or do whatever things you want to do. And you're like, why do I need to go to why do I need to jump through all these hoops? And the answer is well, because you have this fancy new shiny laptop with this special Wi-Fi interface, which is not super well supported yet. And so for Kubernetes, I feel that there is a parallel here where you could just get a managed cluster from all the managed offerings out there. I'm not even going to list them since now there are so many. Uh, And in a matter of minutes, you get your cluster up and running and and it works and it's great. Or you could also build it yourself. And the first time you're going to do that, that's probably take you days or even weeks um, as you learn all the, the components and all the concepts. And at the end, you still get a Kubernetes cluster. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is that, uh, sometimes if you work for, I don't know, like some, uh, really high stakes financial or military or, you know, if you, if you are a nation state that doesn't have their own nation cloud, uh, then like, okay, may- maybe I need to be building and running my own Kubernetes clusters for, for good reasons. Uh, but at the end, you still get a cluster. And yeah, there is that huge gap, which on the one hand makes people think like, oh, this is really complicated. And on the other, when I say it's not that complicated, it is complicated if you want to learn everything inside out, because yes, it's a really complicated system. But if you want to stick to the things that you need to know to deploy actual applications, then it's fine. The same way that, I mean, a lot of us know how to drive a car around, not too dangerously, hopefully. However, not many of us would know how to actually build a car from, from right. scratch. It's like, Hey, that's a, here's a bunch of steel and plastics and whatever. And now you just build yourself a car. It's like, yeah, good luck. Very few people would actually be able to do that uh, without a lot of uh, very extensive training and tools and et cetera. So same thing.
0: Yeah. That's a great analogy. I like that, that, um, you know, uh, a lot of us are going to be using Kubernetes, but we're not going to be building, necessarily, Kubernetes from yeah. scratch, right? Do you call these, uh, I've been calling them distributions. Is anyone, do you call it that? Do you have anyone call it distributions of Some, Kubernetes?
1: Sometimes, yeah. Uh, I think it's it's a, it's a pretty uh, accurate name, especially if it's something that you're going to install on your own clusters, like if you look at uh, Spray or Tarmac or something like that, like uh, or Tectonic. It's really like, okay, this is a thing that's been made to go on a bunch of machines, but if we look at uh, the managed Kubernetes offerings of a cloud provider, do I want to call that a distribution, maybe, but it's it's yeah. a little bit more confusing of a of a word
0: in that case? Yeah, that's true. yeah, so almost like I guess I could make up a term and call it cloud distributions of maybe yeah. of Kubernetes. Yeah, because I mean, I think that's, um, you know, a lot of other Docker captains have echoed the, the advice that, um, like, uh, if you're, you know, if you're, if you look like you're going to be the person who's going to be responsible for orchestration in your organization, and you want to pick Kubernetes, you pro- if you're just, if you're the only person, you probably don't want to hand build it yourself, like you're following Kelsey Hightower's Kubernetes the hard way. Like, yeah. you probably want to use, at minimum, a tool to to deploy it and manage all the security and the things that can basically if you mess up either prevent high high availability and fault tolerance or possibly open you up to security risks and uh, you know because there have been sort of big publicized uh situations where kubernetes clusters were not properly locked down and mm-hmm. people were able to get in over the internet so you obviously don't want any of that so i think the the easier way to avoid all that is to pick if you're if you're even just one person, maybe even one of these distributions that does almost all of it for you, like maybe Rancher or Docker Enterprise, or and I'm not sure if there's other ones, Tectonic. I don't know if that, I think that's getting rolled in or something to, to in, shift. in OpenShift, yeah, yeah. So or OpenShift. Well, of course, I don't. I have never deployed OpenShift, so I don't actually know how easy that is. I just know that people that with Rancher uh, and you know Docker Enterprise, they talk about it, you know, being a couple of lines per server essentially to install it. So it's not really uh, you know, in order to have and in my opinion, like when we're talking about Kubernetes, there's two, type, there's two types of setups really in my mind. There's the what we all use on our local machine to learn and play, right? And that's probably you're using Docker desktop, maybe uh, if you're on Mac or Windows, and that just it's a click of a button in the settings that opens it up for you. Um, what would you recommend for people that are learning Kubernetes and they're if they're not using Docker desktop, what's the next best thing? Is it still Minikube?
1: um minikube is also like a kind of the um, both legacy thing but in a positive way you know like it's been around for a long time so there's extensive support for it uh it works great um i've heard excellent things about micro key 8s which is something on ubuntu which lets you get a local uh Kubernetes cluster like really quickly on, on modern ubuntu distributions um and then
0: micro k8s yeah yeah okay and
1: then personally another approach i do is that if i i mean locally i end up still working mostly with uh, docker compose and then when i need to go in an actual cluster uh, i need like a a real cluster i need multiple nodes and i need to you know like see how things are really going to behave on the cluster so what i've done is that i've um, written and, and refined a, a few scripts that let me start a cluster really quickly, and then in a few minutes I get my cluster. I can work on it, and when I'm done, I I, I trash it down. And if I need a cluster for a few hours or for a day, that's gonna cost me maybe a few bucks, uh, which is cheaper than a coffee at your favorite coffee joint. I'm going to assume <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, so and, and that gives me like the real experience uh, so to speak um so in my specific case uh, i'm jumping directly from local docker compose to an actual cluster on a, on a cloud platform now for many folks yeah i mean like if you're on linux check out minikube uh, if you're on mac or windows then docker desktop yeah,
0: yeah. okay um and there's also Play with Kubernetes, right? Uh, right? Run by one of the other Docker captains. I think it's Play with Kubernetes, or K8s maybe is what it mm-hmm. is. Play with yep. K8s.
1: That's a really um, good option to uh, tinker a little bit and show a, a quick demo. Um, I, th- I think it, yeah, it, the, the, the limitation of like four hours means that for my specific use case, I write, OK, if, I'm, if I want to limit myself to four hours, I might as well get a real cluster. And for four hours, it's going to cost me like less than a buck for a three, four, five nodes cluster. Um, but yeah, once in a while, I'm, I, I mean, when I was at Docker and I had to show things on Swarm, for instance, I would use Play with Docker a lot, because in literally one minute, I would get a brand new cluster up and running and and set up. And so for quick live demos, it's impossible to beat that. Um, For Kubernetes, I'm using it a little bit less because maybe it takes a few more steps to get all the clusters set up properly. Uh, But that's also a really solid option, yeah.
0: Right. Um, Let's see here. I'm looking through the questions. All right, so we have tons of questions. We have lots of conversation going on, which is great. so I don't I uh, I don't want to you know avoid <laughs> I, w- I don't think we're going to be able to get it through all these questions. Uh Hari has asked like thirty questions, so we may not get through all of those. <laughs> what is Kubernetes? I think we've defined that at least a little bit. Um, simply, Kubernetes is one way to solve the problem of I have lots of containers and I want to run them across many servers. And and when yep. I'm and so I think when both of us. Uh, First off, I should say a lot of what I learned about workshopping on Docker and stuff I learned from Jerome. So, like, I remember there was like a year 2016, I think it was in s- Seattle. I was taking Jerome's Swarm workshop. So he is sort of the master. I'm the Padawan here. But um, the uh, the situation with um, orchestration, or let's say the def- the definition I think of orchestration in the sense that we're talking about with containers. Is the simplest definition I've ever come up with is it's a it's essentially act taking a set of servers and letting them act like one so that you can type one command line and a whole bunch of servers work together and make decisions for you to run containers and Kubernetes is as is, I I think everyone's in agreement the most popular choice to do that uh, it is also the most feature rich but it's also known as being the one that's the hardest to get started with or at least to to set up initially and manage. And it may not be necessarily the hardest thing to use, but um, it can be a little tough at the beginning to get it all set up and working and understand all the parts. That's why I think a lot of us sometimes recommend just learn Docker, because that'll teach you containers, right? So uh, you can take my Docker Mastery course, dockermastery.com. And then, you know, when you get to orchestration, there's a question in here uh, later on. I'm sorry, I didn't see who's posted that, but I saw a question where someone said, what should I learn first? Should I learn Kubernetes or Swarm or OpenShift? And My answer might be it's based on your timing. Because if, if your company is like expecting you to know this stuff as soon as humanly possible because they've got some ridiculous deadline, and you know your company is going to go OpenShift, well, as long as you learn Docker, like now you're going to need to learn OpenShift. You probably shouldn't spend all your time learning other orchestrators if you already know that's the one you have to know for your job. So job first, right? We all want to be employed and, and be good at our jobs. But if you have the time, and this is just more of a, you're preparing for your future. Um, and, you know, And a lot, a lot of my students say they're getting into DevOps, so they want to learn these topics to know them. I think both of us are recommending Swarm initially because both of us can deliver a Swarm workshop in a half a day to a full day, right? You can learn most of Swarm in a full day workshop. Um, all, the, all of the extra features, how to set it up, tear it down, how to deploy, you know, Multi-node distributed apps on it. How to do monitoring and logging? All those things can be done pretty easily in a day. Um, then, if you once you've learned those basic concepts, if you desire to learn, you know the most popular one, Kubernetes. Then you you, know, we, you might want to jump to that. You could skip Swarm, but I feel like since it's built into every Docker, and a lot of people, if your co- if your co- if your company doesn't have a hard requirement for a particular orchestrator. Uh, a lot of people find that if they're just setting up a few servers and it's just one person and they don't need all the com- the feature set and complexity of Kubernetes, they can get by with Swarm since it comes with Docker out of the box. And a lot of people are very happy with that. In fact, Jerome and I before the call were talking about at DockerCon last week? Uh, DockerCon last week, there was a SwarmKit uh open source session. And a SwarmKit is the library that makes Swarm possible. And just like every Kubernetes room, the SwarmKit room was full of people and they were all interested in the future of Swarm. We were learning that we were getting jobs eventually, hopefully this year, job support. We were getting CSI storage support for Kubernetes storage features and stuff like that. And then a couple of other things I think they were adding in uh, on, on top of that. They had three or four other features that they were listing as uh, new things. So uh, you, it's you can choose whichever one you want to choose, but I think eventually for us DevOps-focused people, you probably should know two of everything. Like in general, if you know one scripting language, you might want to just play around with a second one so that you can compare. If you know one cloud, maybe try another cloud for a little bit to see if the differences. Because I think for all of us, if you know one thing to solve a problem, it's that whole analogy of a hammer. You know, when you only have a hammer, everything—or was it?
1: Yeah, everything looks like a nail when all you have is a hammer.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, when you only have one tool in your toolbox you're going to try to solve every problem with that. And you might find that, you know, in your case, you know, your company's going to buy a Kubernetes distribution, I guess if we're going to call it that, a Kubernetes product, the uh, you know, from Docker or some, another company that's that sells those. And so you want to learn that first, but you might want to just on the side, learn a little bit about Swarm in case you don't always need Kubernetes. Like Swarm is really great on IoT. It runs on Raspberry Pis. Um, not to get too off topic, but ha- uh, Jerome... Have you played at all with the K3AS? K3S? Not to rel- no, related I've, to K3S? I've,
1: uh, I've read about it and looked a little bit in the architecture, etc., but I haven't played with it yet.
0: Yeah, me neither. It's, it's, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, it's a variant of Kubernetes that throws out a lot of the, um, the, the, the features that not everybody needs in Kubernetes, essentially, and tries to really trim it down to a simple, easier solution. And is it Darren?
1: Remember the, Darren uh, Shepherd, I think.
0: Darren Shepherd, Yeah. And I think he was at DockerCon. I missed a session and someone told me later that he did a session on K3OS. Um, I think I'm saying that right. And uh, that it, there was, it, I think he quoted on stage as they were trying to make Kubernetes act like s- as simple as Swarm. <laughs> so uh, it's like we're all, we're all influenced in using ideas from other products and tools and stuff to make our tools. So on that, on that if there's a pendulum, and on one side is ease of use, ease of deployment, and on the other side is all the features, all the things, it's like Kubernetes started over here, Swarm started over here, and they're kind of doing this. Like Kubernetes is getting (laughs) easier to deploy and manage, Swarm's getting more features, and uh, I think it was actually uh, Docker founder, um, oh, I'm spacing on his name. (laughs) Solomon, or? Solomon, yeah, sorry. The the uh one of the f- the founders of Docker, uh Solomon Hikes actually said somewhere at a DockerCon years ago, and I remember him saying it that he thinks eventually all orchestrators are going to have almost all the like they're going to roughly have all the same features, they're all going to be very similar and uh you know the 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 conclusion is like the features that nobody uses will all go away and the features everybody wants will all be in the the ones that are still supported. And so whether or not we have Three three orchestrators or ten. Um, very eventually they'll all look very similar, and um, maybe that's so. All right, uh, moving to the questions. Um, I think we answered a lot of these already. Nirhari, um, what is it helping with? We talked about orchestration and what that's about. Kube Coob uh, Kub predates Swarm or the other way. Um. Do you remember, Jérôme, I think they were kind of both released in the same year. Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't have the exact
1: timeline and it depends uh, what, once you account for the first version of Swarm yeah, or sort of classic. the yeah. Swarm mode. Swarm mode was definitely later um, and was a kind of way to catch up with Kubernetes. Um, but then at the same time, you could argue that there are many features in modern Kubernetes that make it what we could do, et
0: cetera, that were not necessarily there in the beginning. Um, so, yeah, I'm... Yeah. Roughly, in, in terms of the lifetime of IT, roughly the same time. I think mm-hmm. both Swarm Classic and Kubernetes were 2014, and then Swarm Mode was 2016, Mm-hmm. But that was also like Kubernetes 1.0 release wasn't in 2014. It was sort of a beta to begin with. Anyway, it, it it's all you know within the span of the last five years, right? <laughs> um, but that doesn't have anything like you were saying. That doesn't have anything to do with their maturity or feature set or which one you should use because you know if you look at like the PRs and the the pace of Kubernetes changing, it's way faster than Swarm. Swarm. I almost look at it as like maybe it's a horrible analogy, but um, like Android and Apple phones, right? Android tends to have things first and they experiment a lot more. And I, and I feel like Apple just takes only the best parts or the things that are most popular and then adds them in. And that's, so you might say that the things in Apple or the 80-20 rule, it's a probably a horrible analogy, but I feel like that's kind of how Swarm compares to Kubernetes. It's like, you know, only the things that are very popular and everyone really likes about Kubernetes even potentially get added to Swarm like jobs, we've been talking about jobs for Swarm for years, and uh, the the Swarm Kit team has definitely heard us, uh, and they've known about that our request for like a year and a half now. Um, that we feel like jobs should be the next feature that they add, the first next major feature, and so they're they're working on that this year. In fact, there's actually a PR out there from Drew, one of the core developers, um, that I didn't bring up. But if you have feedback on how jobs should work in an orchestrator, uh, if you just go to the Swarm Kit repo on GitHub. Uh, and go in the PR section. There will be a big thing there about looking for feedback on how jobs should work. And basically they're taking the best jobs functionality out of Kubernetes and trying to add it to Swarm without adding all of the bells and whistles that Kubernetes usually has. Um, so anyway, uh, can I run on my local, AKA single node Swarm equivalent? Yes, yeah, so we, I think we answered that. Uh, if you're running Docker desktop, that's already built in. You just go into settings and check the box. If you're not running Docker Desktop, if you're maybe running Docker Toolbox or Linux, um, then you would use something like Minikube or what was the other one? Mini MicroK8s. Micro k 8s Is Micro trying to make, claim that it's smaller than Mini? <laughs> is that maybe? One? Maybe <laughs> Micro. I always forget. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, which language is it written in? Well, I, I believe all of these tools are written in Go. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Docker's Go. Swarm is Go. Kubernetes is Go. Go language. Um, if you're searching the internet, you might type GoLang lang for that. Um, why the hype? Um,
1: why the hype? Well, from my perspective, is because there was a hype on containers. Because suddenly, okay, we have a way to package things and and run and run them in a way that uh, that's much easier than before. So um, we can debate on that. Like, m- many people with a strong Ops background feel like, oh no, that, that's nothing new here. There is nothing new if you already know how to do it, but if you don't know how to do it, then suddenly with Docker it's possible. So that was the, the, the huge big thing. Now I think a lot of people, once they got Docker and containers figured out, were like, okay, now how do I get that to run on a cluster on multiple machines? And that's when you need orchestration. So that's the... Um, that's the, the reason why, I mean, from my perspective, uh, while Kubernetes and Swarm and orchestration became the next, the next
0: big thing. Right. Right. Um, next question. That was a good one. Um, there's, because that's the thing about IT, right? Is we're susceptible to hype and, and also the opposite of hype, which is like people trashing on a thing that's actually very useful and, and usable. I mean, uh. You know, don't hang out in my Combinator uh, uh, if you, in the news, if you, Hacker News, if mm-hmm. you're aware of that. Uh, if you, you can find a lot of good stuff there, but you can also find a lot of hype and a lot of hate all at the same time. Yeah. Kind of like it's kind of like Reddit. Um, so you have to take everything, I think, in, in those areas, like uh, Hacker News and Reddit and stuff, you have to take it with a grain of salt because for every person that, trash is a thing there's probably five people that love it and depend on it daily and then there for everything that someone hypes on a thing there's probably five people that had that, that don't even need it right so it's it's a weird uh situation where you can't really take any one person's advice even mine you can't you know because i'm i have my own opinions and my own subjective view of things so you kind of have to do your own research and try things out yourself and come mm-hmm. to your own conclusion i think
1: yeah And I think on specifically on the matter of Hacker News, um, there is one thing that, that from my perspective, it's pretty dangerous and toxic for newcomers in our community because there is a lot of uh, people who are going to assert things in a very kind of uh, strong way like, oh, things are that way because this, and I know because I've done this for a long time, except we... We generally don't know what the actual credentials of these people are. Maybe they are the people they say they are. Maybe they are just some some random pretending that they've been running high frequency trading for 10 years while they actually don't have the latest clue about what they're talking about. And we often see a lot of hostility and a specific tone. And when you're new to, new to the community, new to tech, you can end up believing that this is the, this is the way that people will talk to each other in the workplace. You can end up being like, okay, I'm seeing people kind of, you know, um, uh, trashing each other's ideas and having uh, some kind of really strong heated arguments. And apparently that's the way it is. And then kind of bring back to the workplace while these behaviors are actually not okay in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So that's that. I think that's the main gripe I have with this platform is that there is a um like the the moderators are turning a blind eye on that on on the pretense of like free speech etc without realizing that this is setting an extremely bad precedent for our industry and as a personal rule i decided to not engage on this platform anymore because i i i don't think these are positive uh forces for our industry generally speaking
0: yeah i tend to agree uh it's there can be a lot of toxic uh, yeah. Talk on there, even and not even talking about people being mean or hateful or angry towards one another. Another, it's it's that uh, your opinion. Uh, I love. Um, there's another doctor, Captain, that uh, taught me uh, strong opinions loosely held, and mm-hmm. I tend to. Uh, I tend to that that basically means that what I believe right now, um, I am passionate about, but I'm I am not going to. Uh, hold that opinion forever. As new evidence comes in, I will change my opinion and that's okay. We all yeah. learn, we all adapt. The problem with that opinion, and that's my, that's how kind of I treat things, and the challenge with that is like online, that doesn't present itself very easily, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm strongly opinioned, opinionated in a forum, people take that uh, in a totally different context and way than if we're interacting one-on-one. So if you're someone who's in the community, I would say honestly, go find any meetups or conferences you can go to That is the best way to get, I think, the real world heartbeat of like what's going on. Like if you can go to a Kubernetes meetup or a Docker meetup or a little, I mean, every conference now has container talks, you will see a totally different vibe from people there than you would ever in a forum in like Reddit or Hacker News or anything online, right? Because they, when you meet people in the real world, it's never black and white. It's, you know, they're never... If no, nothing's perfect, nothing is easy as it was on the internet on blogs. Nothing was as perfect as they had hoped. But people also tend to be much nicer. They're kinder. Mm-hmm. They will. They listen. They t- you know they'll share more information. They're willing to take questions, especially if you're a speaker or someone who's in the community leadership area. They're usually really good at that. So I always send people to the real world first, even though we have this great thing on the internet that we can learn from. Um, also, places like this, like YouTube's where people are getting out there, they're using their real names, they're sharing their life experience. That's usually a better way to learn than uh, just reading a couple of rants on some random forum of some person you've never heard of saying that something doesn't work or something is crap or (laughs) whatever. Uh, I, I get that a lot, actually. A lot of students come in and say, I read that this is crap on the internet or that this doesn't work or whatever, and I have to spend a lot of my time saying, well, that's just one person's opinion, and I have to show them all this evidence to convince them otherwise. So... It can be a little tough, I think, uh, for learning. On that note, um, uh, the next question is, uh, actually, oops, we already answered that one. Can Kube uh, can run without containers, aka like Mesos?
1: N- no, right? I, so, it's, you know, if we, if we kind of uh, take a step back and if we were to play that uh, Galaxy Brain meme, when you're like, oh, in fact, it's more... Uh, <laughs> If we really look at what Kubernetes is from a kind of uh, strict, pedantic point of view, it's just a set of APIs. So currently, we use these APIs to create, for instance, a deployment, and that deployment ends up creating pods with our applications in them. But nothing would prevent us from creating a new object type uh, that, I don't know, that could be a a virtual machine with uh, what, how many CPUs and what RAM and what disk image you're using, like the the kind of objects we have on uh, on, on, a, on any kind of public or private cloud, and use the Kubernetes API to manage these VMs. We could. It would be really weird, but technically, we could. Um, now, to, to have a more practical answer, um, one thing that I've been looking a lot into recently is something that sometimes we call like nodeless kubernetes um which is like so running kubernetes without nodes and what that really means is that um instead of having a bunch of nodes and these nodes are kind of there waiting for us to run containers on them i'm like i i don't have any node i have my control plane i have my Kubernetes API, it's running up there, but each time I want to create one of these deployments, which ends up creating pods for my containers, at that point, then I will create um, something to to hold this. So maybe I'm going to use, for instance, um, you know, like there is Fargate on on AWS and there is uh, ACI on Azure. There are other container as a service APIs on other cloud providers, so I'm going to use that. Uh, or another approach um, is something that's done by a product called uh, Kiot uh, K I Y O T, and that's very interesting because where you start your your application, instead of creating a container, it's going to put that up on a VM. And you know, it's a, it's a little bit like having one pod equal one VM, and that way you use up only exactly the amount of resource that you that that you really need. Uh, so instead of having all these nodes kind of 80% empty waiting for me to deploy on them, uh, if I'm not running anything, I have zero node. And as I'm starting containers, then they end up in their own VMs. Um, so I, I'm not going to tell much more about this because I could speak about it. for Talk a about it all day. Uh, but I, yeah, it's it's something that's really interesting to really have kind of on-demand cluster sizing and pricing Uh, And it also brings some simplicity on other fronts. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you wrote about this recently, right? You have a blog post on it? Yeah. So I put that blog post uh, for those in chat uh, in the chat because uh, it was a really interesting. uh, Basically, he he goes all through all what he just talked about, (laughs) Uh, but way more detail. And it's really cool. Virtual kubelets. And yeah, it's cool stuff. I remember reading that and thinking, yeah, I have so much to learn. (laughs) <laughs> um, all right so moving on down the question list because we're going to have to wrap it up here in a few minutes um, uh, is only Docker supported uh, I think what you're maybe asking about uh, is only Docker as the runtime or the engine supported uh, n- no there's actually other ones Docker it happens is still the default right so it's kind of the default but I see that this uh,
1: this may change in the future um, We can already use many other runtimes. We could use Rocket. We could use Cryo. We could use Containergy. We could use GVisor. We could use a bunch of others. Uh, On the field, I still see mostly Docker because there is no significant difference in using another runtime for most people. And that's the whole point of it. It's like Kubernetes abstracts that. So that's the, the whole point of it is that I shouldn't see any difference. But if I have particular uh, constraints, like if I want to add an extra layer of security, or if I want to have like this specific feature of another runtime, then I can switch the engine uh, and, and use something else. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, if the default one works, just stick with that, unless you have yeah. very specific reasons uh, for like container D or something else, right? Um, uh, someone asked a question. Uh, syntax, I think it's how you, how you saying that name? How manageable is a non-managed cluster for a small DevOps team? Because uh, yes. <laughs> that's, like, that's like saying, how many things can I fit in my car? Well, how, what size car? Oh. How, what things are you talking about? <laughs> I mean... Often
1: when I, when I do training or when people ask me like, hey, what, should I run it myself or which one should I take? I, I like making the joke that the best way to deploy and operate Kubernetes is to get somebody else to do it for you. Uh, and I, I really mean it because uh, especially if you're a small team and you're already stretched in on a bunch of things, um, just use one of the managed Kubernetes offerings out there because most oftentimes you will end up paying mostly for the compute. So the VMs that you would pay for anyway, and then maybe you add a little extra for the control plane. But, um, if you like, compare to the price you pay for the rest of the cluster, that's really small. And most times that's really worth it. I, I know companies who manage their own Kubernetes clusters, um, either because they are on-prem, uh, all because they have thousands of nodes and they're like, okay, we really need to fine-tune this the, the control plane and everything. So we're like, yeah, of course, in that case you you want to run your own. Uh, but if you have thousands of nodes, you have a pretty big SRE team and, and ops, ops culture there to, to make that happen. If you're a small team, really like at least start with a managed one to, to make your life easier. And then maybe at some point, again, if if you're if you have some specific use cases or whatever, maybe you want to operate it yourself. But then again, I think if you, if you have the requirement for, I need to host this myself because I'm like aerospace or military or health or whatever, then I would hope that you have more than a tiny ops team to make that happen. So, um, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's tough too, because, uh, you know, syntax for your question the most common answer I and everyone I talk to gets as a consultant when we ask people, what are your requirements for an orchestrator? The answer we usually get is, we were told to run Kubernetes, and that's the only requirement. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's a challenge because it, there are so many dependencies. Uh, what type of storage are you going to need to use? Does that storage have compatibility for your orchestrator? If, is your team actually fluent at like Linux administration, distributed computing, distributed monitoring and logging? Like those are all things that like you need to know in order to operate your own production cluster of anything. And so there's a there's a lot of things around just analyzing the expertise of the team, the budget, the size of your eventual deployment, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud. Like there. there does it need to be multi-OS? Does it need to be Windows and Linux? Like, There's so many things that go into deciding your orchestrator and then even deciding, once you've chosen an orchestrator, let's assume it's Kubernetes, um, do you, are you going to do a managed offering, like a cloud-managed? Are you going to do an on-prem managed? Um, Docker recently announced this Docker Kubernetes service, and I'm not exactly sure. I don't actually know how to explain it yet. It sounds like a managed service offering, but I'm not really sure if that's what it is. Do you do something like Rancher where it, it makes the deployment and setup easier and it gives you a nice GUI to manage the cluster in addition to the the Kubernetes GUI? Um, or because you're going to be so custom and you have so many specific requirements that you just do everything upstream, native, vanilla, and you do it all yourself? Those are all really hard questions to answer. But what we what I hope we can answer here are the things you need to know and the things you need to ask of yourself when you're deciding, and hopefully some of those things we're talking about helps you. You know, basically the best thing to do is to go back with a list of questions, and you have a conversation with your management, your budget, your team, your timeline, and you've and that helps guide you towards the an answer because none of this is easy to decide on. No tech product that a company implements is an easy decision. Usually, you usually have lots of factors involved. Um, yeah, so like I mean, some some factors is. Sometimes it's just we only deploy open source, and it has to be free. You know, that's if that's a requirement, then your choices are shrink. <laughs> you have lots fewer lot less fewer options. Um, how, let's see. But that's a great question. Thanks for asking. And um, uh, in, in, for reference, he was saying comparing it to something like Swarm. Uh, Swarm, one person can manage dozens of nodes, no problem, in my opinion. Um, usually, because your your security. You have very few options out of the box. So as you're adding layers of features on top of Swarm, that's what uh, adds the complexity. And you have to learn those things individually. Where on Kubernetes, a lot of that just comes out of the box. So to just get started, there's more work to do. There's more things to concern yourself with. Not Neither, it's, neither design is bad or good. It just depends on how uh, you want to deploy your orchestration. Um, let's see. How do we... Exp- how expensive is a kube cluster compared to a swarm cluster? It seems dramatically more expensive from what I've seen. On small
1: clusters, I think I would agree just because the footprint of the control plane is, is a thing. It, it exists. Same thing like Kubelet, the little agent that runs on every node, has a, has a footprint. Um, that being said, on bigger clusters, that's going to be less of an issue. Because that little extra, you know, like, if, if, it's, if it takes, I'm just going to pull a random number. If you need, like, one gig of RAM and one core for the control plane, uh, if you're running on a few nodes with four gigs of RAM and a few cores, then it amounts to a significant chunk of your cluster. Now, on a much bigger cluster, it, it's, it doesn't matter much. But, yeah, on, on small clusters, uh, especially when I deliver training, I'm often a little bit eye-rolling at how much uh, resource is being used by the API server and its CD and all these things. And the design choices that went into Swarm were deliberate to kind of cut a lot of these layers and, uh, and have Swarm work on a, on a way, leaner machines. Um, I don't think that it would be wise to pick one or the other just for that reason. If you want to run on a bunch of Raspberry Pis, for instance, then yeah, you, maybe you want to look into that and, and do your own measurements to see like if it's, uh, if it's something that, that that matters for you. Um, on bigger clusters and like, real-world scenarios, I don't think that this should be the determining factor.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I think uh, starting out, there's probably a bigger difference than once you've you know cuz really a lot of this is dependent upon services like etcd on the kubernetes side and and swarm which has it built in but they they largely use the same uh, quorum sort of concepts where they need three yeah. or five management nodes that all have the stuff so um yeah once you're once you're into dozens of nodes then uh, yeah, i yeah i don't know that there would really be much difference it would probably be more about all the uh, the excess things you need to run on top of that like the monitoring and the logging and the Um, Mm -hmm. other stuff that maybe would uh, add more burden but that's going to be probably the same on both sides the next question here is what would you recommend um tool would you recommend tools like helm and customize
1: yeah absolutely so helm and customize and also a few others are it's a little bit like the the compose of the Kubernetes world, except that in the case of Compose, we're super lucky because you know the, the Docker model like build, ship, and run any app anywhere. Yeah. In the case of Compose, we're doing build and run but on the same machine, so we don't need to ship. So that's, that's really easy and nice, and Compose gives us this outstanding workflow. Uh, in the case of Kubernetes, we can't avoid the ship phase, <laughs> and so that's why we, we don't have a perfect tool yet that would kind of do what Compose is doing. What we have is tools like Helm or Customize on the deployment side of things. Um, Helm, pretty complex if you want to write your own Helm charts, but really useful if you want to use an existing Helm chart, That that's going to be relatively easy. And if you want to deploy Prometheus or a bunch of other things, like uh, Helm will be kind of your, your package manager for Kubernetes. Like, oh, I want to install that thing, boom, and, and then manage like versions and upgrades, et cetera. Um, writing your own Helm charts, that's trickier. And that's where Customize can help, because it's an easier way to do that. Um, Customize will let you take a bunch of Kubernetes resource YML, um, so a little bit like your compost file, if you will, but you know you need to tweak a few things because now that you are in the development uh, environment, you, for, I mean, from dev to staging to prod, you need to change the number of replicas and maybe the resources and maybe like this and that and that. So Customize will let you override a bunch of things in, in your YAML in a relatively easy way. In particular, if you want to get started with Customize, there is an amazing tool called Replicated Ship, uh, which it gives you a little thing that you, you stop that on your bundle of YAML, it's going to spin up like a web interface. And in that web interface, you're like, okay, I want to change that specific field over here. And it's going to generate the I would say the the scaffolding for customize. And so the the outcome of that is that after just a few clicks, you get something that you can fit into into customize a little bit if you if you want to transpose that to to the Docker world. It's a little bit like something that would help you to to make your first Docker file or your first compose file, if you will, just by doing a few clicks. So, replicated chip, like amazing tool. I, I really love it. And then I think, remember what I said earlier about this metaphor of like steps and you you climb the steps one by one. Right. I think after using customize for, for a while, you're like, huh, I wish I could do some, some more advanced things. Like, I, I would like to have one parameter. Uh, well like one configuration parameter that would have a bunch of like impact and effects in values files and i don't know how to do that and that's when you can look into helm and be like oh helm does all these things and it ha- indeed it has a lot of complexity but at least i know why i'm paying and for that complexity you know it's like um again uh, if i'm going back to the to the Car metaphor—it's a little bit like learning to drive and yeah. picking between driving uh, shift stick or manual. Uh, may- maybe it's—I uh, mean, automatic or or manual. It's it's great if you start with automatic and then later maybe you're like, okay, if I if I pick manual transmission, this is what I get for for this extra investment. You know, uh, it's not a great example because so many people learn uh, manual transmission first anyway, and they're <laughs> fine. Um, right. But it's it's a kind of like uh i have these two options i'm going to start with the easy one so that's easy and i get stuff done and i know i still have this more complex option and actually I, maybe i will end up looking into that and maybe that's going to be in six months and maybe that's going to be in six hours because i'm gonna you know like hit a wall with a simple option but for kubernetes and also many of other scenarios in general i advise People to start with the easy option if it, it looks like it might work, because if it does, you save yourself a lot of trouble. <laughs> right. um, and if it doesn't, then you still have picked up something useful along the way. And generally, you don't waste much time on along the way because um, starting with the more complex option first is it's going to be like more things to juggle with and reason with. So starting with the easy option is often um, a, a good step on the way to the more complex option
0: yeah for sure um a couple of quick hit questions one um uh oh shoot where'd it go um uh, scott asks uh he was talking about swarm and says swarm isn't available everywhere uh swarm is available everywhere docker d can be installed so if you have docker engine on a machine if you just install docker one of the anything in the last three years it has swarm built in all you do is docker swarm init, and uh, that's that's a swarm one single a single machine swarm cluster so um, you can install it on R- Raspberry Pis on arm on mainframes on Windows Linux Mac anything um, they all there's options for all of those every uh, Linux distribution will support it that I've seen. Um, some might be a little more effort than others because you have to add in a repo, an apt-get repo or a yum repo to get the modern versions. But yeah, it's all there. Um, The next question was, and this is a really good one, um, I think it's going to be an easy answer, is if I wanted to develop for, let's see if I can find it. Um, Oh, I missed. Now I can't find the question, but it was, oh, um, Snat asked, is there a specific way of developing a web or distributed app or tips and tricks that we can get more out of Docker or Kubernetes? And I, and I think what they're asking is, do I need to design my app, or how would I design my app if I wanted to make it work on orchestration?
1: That's, that's a great question. I think the um, first answer would be to look into the 12-factor app uh, design principles, because a lot of them are going to go nicely into the cloud-native landscape, et cetera. Uh so it's a lot of things about do not hard code configuration values in, in your thing, like try to use the environment or se- separate configuration file, uh which for, for a lot of us that's going to be like obvious things that we learn sometimes the hard way, but uh like okay, when we design stuff, we separate configuration, we think about state, like um a, I'm being aware that this app might be scaled on multiple machines. So if I'm asking people to upload files, images or videos or whatnot, if I'm just storing that on the local file system, that's not going to be replicated. So I have to think about that. I have to think about um, maybe I want to use an object store like S3 or, uh, or, or something like that. or um, And so all these things that... For, for many of us, we already started to kind of apply that and keep that in mind when developing for the cloud, generally speaking. These things still hold for containerized applications. Um, I, I can't really think of many container-specific uh, advice. Um, very often, honestly, it makes things much easier. Um, because we have this really nice DNS-based discovery, um, yeah. and, and and so many other things like the ambassador pattern, and now like service meshes, which means that we can very often decouple um, the. I mean, not only load balancing and discovery, but also uh, gathering metrics and observability on our services. We we don't need to enmesh together like. Uh, the calls I'm making to the API and also timing these calls to gather metrics, I I can decouple these things and that's really powerful. Um, so I would I would say if you want extensive readings on what I, what can I do to make sure my apps will behave nicely in containers, check out Twelve Factor Apps just because it's been around for a long time, yeah. so there is like tons of material available on it. Uh, on all levels, like for beginner, all the way up to advanced programmers. So I, I would say look at that, and that will get you really close to the uh, cloud-native best uh, practices, so to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of people are talking about Kubernetes training and mentioning uh, uh, some courses. So I thought it would be appropriate for us to wrap this up because we're not going to get through all the rest of the questions. I will try to answer all of them in chat. So stick around if you're not able to get our... If your question wasn't answered, I'm going to be sticking around in chat. So raise your hand in chat if you're still there and you want to repeat your question if you you think we skipped it or whatever because we had so many great questions and we're definitely going to do this again someday soon because there's a lot to talk about. And the thing that uh, Jerome and I want to announce today is that uh, we've been hinting at for quite some time that we're working on a Kubernetes course together. So later this year, expect to hear some news from us on, on a Kubernetes course we're gonna be launching based on his workshop that he's been developing hundreds and hundreds of slides for over the last few years, as well as uh, you know all of our teaching in the real world and working with these tools online. And you know, Jerome's awesome. I love hanging out with him and learning stuff. And I thought, what better way to do a Kubernetes course because there's already so many Kubernetes things out there, than to actually bring in like one of the original Docker DevOps people and someone who's just knee deep in Kubernetes stuff every day, and uh, you know, take my swarm mindset, my swarm <laughs> hat, and his Kubernetes hat, we bring come together and we teach uh, what I hope to be uh, you know one of the best ways to learn Kubernetes out there, and we're going to be releasing some videos here uh, eventually in the next couple of months that are some updates and some sort of trickled content a little bit. And then we're going to announce later on this year, some big things. So stick around for that. Of course, if you have to learn Kubernetes today, one of the ways you can learn that, and I'll put this link into chat is uh, Jerome has a great website that shows all of his workshops that he's doing that are are public. It's called container.training. So I put that into chat. Um, I've been helping with him on that for years. It's actually three major courses, all one on Docker 101, one on swarm and then one on kubernetes and there's so many slides now i think it's actually thousands of slides right like over
1: close 7, to a thousand slides. yeah if we if we combine uh, If you add all three kubernetes courses together
0: data, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah because i think it's like four or five it's like 5 or 600 on swarm it's a, i think it's like that many on, or more on docker 101 yeah and you've got a lot on kubernetes so that's all open source content and you can find past workshops he's done there as well as the open source uh, slides from it and and there's there's a lot going on in there so definitely check that out um, of course it's not presented none of that stuff is really presented in a uh, instructor um, uh, online curriculum type thing like you're used to on my Udemy courses so that's what we're working on together is to put that all together into a modular approach where you're learning uh, with nice little short videos and it's all together with assignments and so that's going to be a lot of fun for us to start talking about and we'll be talking more about that here as the, the year goes on and we get more and more, uh, into that, that content. So, um, Jerome, is there anything else that you wanted to mention about, uh, learning Kubernetes that we didn't get to, I feel like we covered a ton.
1: No, like okay. I'm, I'm really excited to combine the, the in-person work I've been doing for the last year. And so, uh, with the, the expertise that you have, as you said, like, building a palatable um, small segments um, an actual online course actually yeah yeah so combining like those two things together like that's I'm, I'm excited to work together on that yeah
0: yeah yeah it's gonna be fun and uh and of course we're, we're never in the same place at the same time except for once every three years even though we're both <laughs> traveling to conferences all the time and and talking we occasionally i think it was what is a year ago i think we were at a a conference in New York for one day together, and uh, we recorded a video, which I I think is actually in the intro to this video. There's a little clip of it, but it never actually made it on the internet. So um, uh, maybe we should put that out when we when we have a minute. But we're definitely going to be putting out more stuff together as we get closer to the release of this stuff. And I'm glad that everyone's excited to learn Kubernetes. If you're already learning Kubernetes, thank you so much for sharing uh, your learning stuff in the chat because there's people today that are inter- you know actively. Uh, learning Kubernetes with other courses but um, we're of course going to be out there soon so uh, thanks again Hi. for joining uh, you can find Jerome by the and way I'm on so the internet on Twitter
1: <coughs>
0: yeah. I'm going to post yeah. his Twitter link so you can reach yeah. out to Jerome follow him on Twitter uh, he's always he's on there way more than I am talking every day to people helping them out and he also does some really cool stuff with music you can check out some of his stuff on there as well <laughs> um so thanks again for joining jerome uh what's next for you what's the like now that pycon's over what's the next big thing you're going to be what's the next big thing Uh, i'm going
1: to be uh presenting a two-day advanced kubernetes tutorial at the velocity conference in san jose Uh, that will be roughly mid-june uh it's almost sold out well in fact it was sold out and then we decided to increase the capacity so i expect that it's going to be sold out again um after that uh, i will be in montreal uh and then in paris uh and then uh in europe for 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 a while Uh, but yeah next big thing is the san jose velocity conference
0: cool so thanks for listening and i'll see you in the next episode